touching into the qualities of the we call the measureless abidings, measureless states, measureless chetana, metta, karuna, mudito, peka, would I'd give a little more um, guidance on that. So these are called um, phrases you see when you look at the chant is chetasa. So chetasa means with in, with some kind of intention. Um, uh, this is a very significant word, concept, and again, unfortunately, the English translation has its limitations because we tend to imagine intention as a deliberate uh, thought or like I plan or intend to go to Singapore or wherever you know well that's not it actually chitana is is a pretty much a constant quality of, of chitta which means that an inclination like a sense in which the, the, the chitta directs towards towards one's kuti, one's dwelling, you know, one's generally the chetana is towards one's well-being. Looking towards, and that maybe towards well-being in terms of um, what the sense fields can can offer. You know, pleasant temperature. So there's an inclination towards that rather than towards unpleasant. Clearly, Mostly these are uh, associated with the inclinations towards agreeable feeling and away from disagreeable feeling. And what sometimes we uh, don't really understand the fullness of, of feeling, Vedana. And uh, there's a saying, uh, one of the, in the teachings of the Buddha, uh, all dhammas, everything that affects one's citta, converges on feeling. There's only actually two experiences that the jitta uh, has as input. It doesn't see things, it doesn't hear things, it doesn't taste things. What he experiences are called feeling, vedana, and the other one is called perceptions, which is uh, associations, images, um, impressions, friendly, hostile, uh, um, safe, dangerous, um, cuddly, whatever, you know, we get some kind of impression. See a bear, you might think cuddly. Not a good idea. <laughs> so these perceptions are not always accurate, but they're kind of immediate kind of flash triggers that we that the chitter experiences as it interprets as a basic immediate interpretation of a sight or a sound. And um, uh, you know, and that's what it operates around. Uh, so that's like a mental experience. Um, yeah. And the other thing that operates on is mental, is feeling, which comes either from the body or from perception. It doesn't come to the eyes, it doesn't come to the nose, it doesn't come to the tongue, and so forth. It comes either directly through the body. So what we, when we see something and we feel pleased by that, it's actually the mind that is pleased by it, not the eyes. The eyes do not experience feeling. Uh, so we're pleased by the perception of what we see. It gives rise to a mental um, 
feeling, pleasure. So this, so the field of mental pleasure is much, is a broad field, because all the sense bases are interpreted through this um, uh, experience of mental feeling, mental feeling of perception. And because of this, there is volition or intention towards that which is agreeable. Doesn't mean it's fantastic, it means it's more agreeable than that. It's more comfortable, it looks like it's a better option than that one. So we incline towards towards those things. And of course sometimes we get it wrong. <laughs> Quite a lot of the time we get it wrong. Or you know, or it's not particularly long lasting. This is the difficulty with the feeling based upon the sense basis is um, the perceptions that arise, chitta that is conditioned by sensuality, tends to operate in terms of the feeling that arises dependent upon sense bases and uh, uh, nice sounds, nice sights, uh, comfortable dwelling, nice belongings, pretty things, and so forth. Um, and the, the experience of feeling with that is, is quite quite strong, but not terribly long-lived. It, it surges up, and then after a while we kind of don't feel so pleased by it anymore. And it, either we get bored with it, or it declines yeah, in, its, uh, in its status. So there's another kind of um, basis for mental feeling. Uh, is it, um, and it is the mind itself, uh, the jitta, when it's abiding calm. It's finding comfortably, feels agreeable, feels comfortable, feels contented. And another basis for this is our volition, our intention is skillful. So skillful intention has a pleasant quality to it, such as when, very obviously when we are, we feel uh, impulse towards generosity, we enjoy that experience, something rises up. When we experience a sense of friendliness, something rises up. That's an agreeable quality. And the Buddha said, you shouldn't stint yourself on this. This is something that one should indeed delight in, because then it helps to wean one uh, from the other basis of agreeable feeling. So, And then this quality of volition is something we do have some say over, unlike the um, sphere of sense contact which because uh, it, it's out there we don't have too much, have a lot of say over it it can come and go it can rot, it can change, it can be taken away from us but our volitions can't be taken away from us we can, even if we can't fulfill them you know, we haven't got anything to give or whatever, we can still feel that sense of enjoying uh, goodwill or, or generosity or honesty you can still appreciate it, you can bring to mind those occasions and remember them and feel uplifted by that volition. Yeah. And so this is a really important um, quality or sphere of experience to investigate because I'm pretty certain that all of you have skillful intentions. Intention to relinquish something is, is a beautiful intention to let go. Uh, it's like clean, bright, 
dignified, worthy, and there's something quite lovely about that uh, honesty to experience truthfulness the mind is not bending, manipulating it's void of that it feels nice and straight and clean and that is also agreeable clearly these experiences are not necessarily as immediately powerful as sense contact but they are, they are long they can be long lasting you can bring them to mind you can you can regenerate them and you don't need uh, objects to do it you don't need things to get it going you can get it going sitting quietly so for a meditator this is definitely the field to cultivate and in fact it can be the, a very strong inc- reason why to cultivate if you want to know what meditation is one way of looking at it is the cultivation of skillful intentions and the enjoyment of them you know, so you bring them up honoring the Buddha yeah, yeah, sense of praising that which is worthy of praise, right? So, so just play with these, experiment with them, and notice the effect they have on the chitta. Mm-hmm. Now, the quality of goodwill or metta, kindness, goodwill and karuna, compassion, mudita, gladness, appreciation, and uh, upeka, equanimity, these are also um, places of enjoyment. So, we should recollect this, this is definitely for our welfare, it's not just doing charity work, or trying to make people better, or or anything like this, Uh, it may have that effect, but sometimes it's kind of dependent upon the other person's ability to pick it up. You know, you can be pumping it out and the other person isn't really noticing it. Because <laughs> they're so absorbed in their own stuff or whatever. Um, so, quality of volition, when it becomes more independent, doesn't really matter. Um, you know, whether you're not looking so much at results in terms of external events, so much as result in your own heart from sustaining that quality. It's just sustaining that, that volitional quality. And we notice that all of these uh, four, when you look in the chant, and this is straight from the suttas, this is, they all have the same, they all sound about the same. Um, you know, it's, it's a sphere, it's to all directions, it's not just targeted on one issue but surrounding and to others as to myself so any aspect this can only occur in the chitta can't it you can with the eyes you can only see something out there um, sense basis you have a particular object that's there and whoops and you're separate from it um, but in the chitta this this quality maybe inspired by something but it can be like a the quality of volition then becomes the characteristic of the chitta and chitta is your uh, well mind your awareness your sense if you like another way of looking at it is the sense when you say this happens to me that's your chitta we're talking about it may be wearing 
a clo- clothing called me, but actually in itself it's 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 jitna. It's not really a me. You adopts various clothes, and one of them is called me. It's the most common uniform. But you try and look at the identity of that, and it shifts and moves around. So when this, these qualities uh, are dwelt in, then this very experience of you know the me without a name, you know, center of our, of our awareness, becomes endowed with this quality of uh, it's abundant, it's rich, uh, it's not starving, it's not desperate, it's not uh, fidgeting around trying to find something, it's, not, it's, it's abundant, it feels rich and replenished, it's exalted, which means it's kind of lifting, it's got a rising quality to it, uh, not scurrying, it's a sense that the bit of chitta rises, and sometimes this term is used for um, any kind of, uh, you know, true cultivation, the jitta rises upwards. Uh, that's a, that's a, it rises, you know, you know where, they you can't see them um, going up there. But we associate, you know, it's such a common term, isn't it? My heart lifts. Oh yeah? <laughs> you know, you look inside somebody's chest, that little lump of meat doesn't go very far. Um, but we definitely, this is a common experience, it's an energy, and so much of our metaphorical language deals with the experience of chitta. My chitta feels heavy, my heart is heavy, my heart is sinking, uh, my heart is oppressed, my heart is free, my heart is light, my heart is rising, my heart lifts the... Yeah. So this is just how, it, how we experience it. Exalted, it means lifted. Uh, uh, it's free from the encumbrance of, you know, gloom, cynicism, bitterness, uh, half-heartedness, indifference, callous, mean, stingy. You know, it's free from that. So, it, by itself, it lifts. It's, it's measureless. It means that you can't really uh, find an edge to it. it. Just it's like something like a the way that. Uh, mist or, or air or space, you can't really find the edges to it. It's something that's spreading, suffusing is, is a term that's associated with these. It's um, free from uh, hostility and ill will. So, um, what's the difference between that, that one and the other? Well, one way of looking at it, because it's not really explained, um, is, you know, we can feel either a sense of um, ill will or uh, an ill will just means like not willing to be with. So it could be fear, regret, um, you know, dismissiveness, so what, who cares about him anyway, um, you know, or I wouldn't be seen dead there, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, you know, uh, or the other way around, I imagine that others feel that about me. That I'm not some, something sooner, the, my absence would be appreciated. <laughs> you know, I'm a bit of a nuisance, a burden, uh, a waste of time. Uh, I bother people, uh, nothing particularly interesting about me anyway. 
Um, people put up with me, but that's about it. You know? And various tones of that nature. Yeah. So this this fundamental char- characteristic explained in various ways. We can see that in the mind doesn't have any edginess to it, any pulling back, any any tension or, or um, hostility in its volition. Its intentions are void of that fearfulness or um, ill will. So this is the common basis of all of them. It's called empathy, and ukampa is the Pali word, and this is the original experience that the Buddha uh, awoke to after his realization of Nibbana. Then he thought, well, you know, finished. You know, he realized Nibbana, finished. That's it, you know. And then this, in the cosmology, cosmology explanation, this Brahma Sahampati. Brahma Sahampati crops up a few places, and the word literally, Brahma is a, is a, is a, um, measureless um, celestial being and Sahampati means like the Pati is father and Saham father of everything so he likes the kind of universal um, God I suppose so God rolls up and uh, <laughs> says to, gets down on his knees in front of the Buddha and says Pray, Lord, um, there are beings with a little dust in their eyes. Please teach the Dhamma for their welfare. And the Buddha's mind shivers with this sense of empathy, recognizing the poignant state of beings and the potential for beings. And this quality of empathy is like, just like me. You know, we are We are fellows in this. We are all... In some ways, we all have this experience of being in the human domain. And the Buddha's empathy was so large, he could extend that to any conscious being, including animals and, and uh, devas. But the most eminently teachable were human beings, because this was really his, his family, human beings. So this sense of, just like me, you know, we are, we're in this. And this is in the samsara, in the sense consciousness, in the in the experience of having a human body beset by birth, aging, sickness, death. Yeah. So he said, because of this sense, this recognition, I will teach. And so this he teaches out of anukampa, and occasionally it says from time to time in the suttas, the uh, Tathagata teaches out of. It says compassion, but the word is anukampa. I teach out of empathy, um, be diligent. And extended that throughout his life till the last, his dying breath, when he's saying, you know, if anybody's got any questions, please ask, I haven't got much longer to live. So, clearly the man was not holding back. So that's the degree of it. And been all his life, he's trying to establish something that would then guard and protect and guide people for millennia. Okay. So, this fundamental sense, we're in this together. And from this, when this quality attunes to um, it, how it's going to act, so that's the basic, something switched on, 
an intelligence, a sense, an awareness is switched on, oh, this is where we all are, oh, I see. Then the volition arises, the, you know, what I'm going to do, comes from that basis. And so, the, the volition that comes from that basis, the intention that comes from that basis is goodwill, or compassion, depending on what it means. Now, so, the fundamental sense uh, is, is the goodwill. Yeah. I'm willing to be with. I'm willing to be with. To um, open to, uh, to, to sense you, to contact you. Yeah. So the freedom from defensiveness or um, cynicism, what's the point? Uh, the Buddha never gave up on anybody. Mm-hmm. Open door, could say. So this is just something to note, you know, to what do you do with it? You just to tune into that. When can my when can my heart be open? I'm not asking or something to fill that door, or walk in through that door. I don't just want something to be just open. Not, yeah. uh, when is it just cramped with uh, desire, um, ill will, regret, doubt? So, we use this quality to just sense the, the, the heart, and just keep inclined to, to opening that. Yeah. Karuna is when, I, when what occurs is the experience of the, the sorrowful state. And uh, there's a there's a sense of compassion. Could, this could be here internally, externally. Uh, you know, seeing animals get hurt. There's a sense of the shivering, of um, uh, seeing the, the vulnerability of beings. So metta sees the, experiences the lovability, or how beings are uh, our kin, we are open to them. Um, everything appreciates that. People appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, doesn't mean, you know, wildly fascinated by this. I'm open to. I'm not coming here with kind of negative impressions or something of that nature. Currently we see the vulnerability of beings. Uh, and instead of saying, well, you're so weak and pathetic or it doesn't really matter anyway, you're just a bug. There's the experience of trembling with compassion to protect or to, if possible, take away the pain or um, not not cause any damage to others, vulnerability. And this means our own emotional vulnerability. We go wonky at times, um, you know, and you see people losing it or making mistakes instead of getting angry and nasty to them. You know, beings are vulnerable, they are they can easily tip over. People can 
make mistakes, people can commit crimes, people can, in acts of heedlessness, do unskillful deeds. They're already punishing themselves, because by their bad karma, why do I have to add any punishment to them? Because they're already, you know, if people act in unskillful ways, they're already going to experience bad experiences, why add more to it? Uh, so, you know, Mudita, the ability to experience and, and rejoice in the goodness of oneself and others, one's own mind when it is good, happy, bright, skillful, to take that in and respect and honor it. Uh, so this is a very important quality. Um, sometimes it gets missed out because we tend to emphasize compassion, but Mudita, the ability to discern the skillful and the good in oneself and in others and yeah, enjoy it. And so another significant feature of meditation that sometimes gets overlooked is the ability to enjoy one's good states. Yeah. One's uh, comfort, one's well being, one's uh, the places where the chitta or even one's body is comfortable. You tend to get drawn towards the unsatisfactory and fret about it and not take into account that which is comfortable, pleasing, skillful. Mudita. Equanimity, the ability to be present through the ups and downs and changeability of phenomena. It doesn't, it just, it doesn't sink when things, when phenomena decline, it doesn't jump up and down when phenomena improve, you know, it just stays, uh uh-huh, it's this, it's this, it's this. This is the, you know, and and essentially, it's not really the the objects that are the prime focus, it's the state of mind. Naturally, there may be people who we more easily experience, metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, for, um, uh, or aspects of ourselves that we can be more comfortable with, other aspects we have difficulty with. The aim of it is to just survey the all-encompassing world. And this really means the world of your own consciousness. It doesn't mean you've got to travel around the planet. It means whatever arises in your experienced domain, you notice whether there's a, a reaction of ill will uh, or goodwill willings to be with or aversion and you keep smoothing out the defect just as a as a topic if one is not quite certain as to where to direct there are four particular places that we visit often which get quite fraught and um Need to you need to check in with them and see how these qualities are, are, are there or present or absent. Mm-hmm. As you check in, with, it's a recollection. And the first of these is um, other people. So any other people, and you know, scan through the list and see where the squirming begins or the uncomfortable irritability begins, and well. Yeah, yeah, but that in the moment, that's a perception in my mind, isn't it? There isn't anybody else here, really. Because the chitta doesn't experience other people, experiences perceptions. Okay? 
his perception of my uncle, my grandfather, my mother, my roommate, no, 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 my perceptions, and these arise. Is there any sense of, you know, bitterness, negativity, okay, other people? And if there is, then what do you do about that? Well, you may recognize their heirs to their karma, they are in this together, there's a nobody who doesn't make mistakes, um, is my mind fault-finding, is my mind ungenerous, is my jitta demanding something, is my jitta losing its anchoring in goodwill? Hmm? Uh, yeah. Because this is for my, you know, welfare or, or lack of it. And recognizing one's perceptions of other people, themselves, very, very um, distorted. Get distorted. You can't know someone in a day or a moment takes a long time and even then you're dealing with the way they strike you whether you feel intimidated, lessened whether their mannerisms are not you don't find them comfortable um, and so on uh, so this is the perception you try to just like me is the, is the basis air uh, to aging, sickness and death Air to karma, liable to suffering, uh, and so on. And um, you pick up some aspect of that percept of another being. You, you turn your 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 chitta towards aspects that you don't find uncomfortable, like um, you know, she does keep the she does sweep the floor or. He did, he's nice to that dog or something. You pick some feature that you can find agreeable, uh, worthy. And I don't think there's anybody uh, who doesn't do something good somewhere. I think so. Nobody only has totally unskillful volitions. Somebody, they've got something going. So you turn towards that. And the Buddha likened it to coming to a, a pond and the pond is kind of overgrown with algae, so you sort of brush the algae aside and just scoop a handful of clean water out. Or the pond is overgrown with weeds, and you brush the weeds aside and you scoop the clean water out. And he said, just even if somebody has as much goodness in them as the amount of water that you'd find in the imprint of a cow's hoof in mud. So, even at that tiny, you know, if you see it, a cow's footprint in mud, right? A little scoop like that. In the amount of water that contained, not very much. So, even that little bit, you focus on that bit and you take that bit. <laughs> so that, and remember, this is not really about making an objective statement about this person. It's about freeing your chitta from the hindrance of ill will. So you're not saying, you know, she's all fantastic. You're saying my chitter is not picking up that sign so that it re-establishes itself in the basis of goodwill. So that whatever, you know, um, things I want to say to them about their behavior or how I feel about it, 
I can be coming not from anger and hostility, but from a sense of of concern for their karma. You know, like, you know, um, because I respect you, I like to feel that, that um, you know, you're not going to generate problems. For, you know. And if you, if you continue acting in, like that, it looks like you probably don't notice it. But many people find that difficult. Something like this, you know. So your sense of seeking their welfare, um, then you can come from that place. And you abide in this quality. Now, so these signs. Now, this is because where we turn this potential of the jitta to our advantage is, as you probably recognize, as if your jitta picks up perceptions and it makes much of those. It dwells not in the object, but in the perception of the object. Right. So, you know, you see a, an apple, a red apple, and the perception rises, lovely, juicy, ripe. And you dwell in that perception, and you buy the apple. Yeah. Now, the apple, sometimes these red apples are pretty tasteless, because they've just been cultivated to look good. And we, we, because it triggers this sense of lovely, juicy, ripe apple, we're attracted to that and we buy it. But actually some of the best apples are knobbly, green, speckly things that don't look very nice at all, but nobody's going to buy them. Yeah. Because you don't trigger the right perception. Unless you're a discerning person and you begin to use your wisdom to recognize, that oh, it's probably good taste. So what occurs with the perception is a particular sign is picked up, a particular signature is picked up, and that becomes the dominant characteristic that your jitta holds. Yeah? So you may see someone doing some skillful actions, you think, oh, good person, and that's the dominant perception you have. You see someone making mistake an idiot and that's the perception that your jitter adopts yeah? uh, so because it seeks to have these the navigation to have these signs you know that it can rely upon and what we know is that these signs are quite unreliable but the nature of the jitter is to pick up the sign and make much of it and as we know in, in certainly in the consumer world um, then advertisements commercials are skillfully designed to create signs of the attractive desirable and even though when you look at an advertisement often it's completely ridiculous the people looking euphoric over making a phone call uh, you know I don't think you get euphoric over making a phone call but it sells the phone you know. Somehow the, the sign, this is attractive, this is exciting, this is uh, what attractive people hold, this is what humorous in people have, therefore it's attractive. So we see the attractive and what itself is not attractive. It's just a thing. But the sign, we pick up the sign. Now, if, you know, clearly the closer you get 
to where that sign is happening, the more accurate it's going to be. Now, visual objects, they're out there. Yeah. We know very clearly that they, are, they can be decorated and placed in a way that, that makes them look more attractive than they really are. And when you get close to your, your heart, the chitta, it's, it gets more and more accurate because this is where the sign arises. Yeah. And a sign that's not dependent upon the sense fields, the sign of the jitta itself, this we can pick up and make much of. Uh, or any unification, any calming of the mind through kindness or breathing in and out or whatever you do, works on this principle. That is, clearly breathing in and out is just one way, it's just so what, everybody does it all the time. But you pick up the sign of the comfortable, the involuntary, you don't have to do it, it happens by itself. It's easy, it's relaxing, it fills your body, it gives a pleasant um, effect, calming, breathing out, brightening up, breathing it. You pick up that sign. Oh look, you know, I don't have to do breathing, it happens to me. Why don't I just tune into that and enjoy the comfortable quality of it? So you pick up that particular sign. And if you're doing mindfulness of breathing or anapanasati, as you practice and cultivate, you know, you, you establish it, you so it becomes quite thorough, it becomes complete and extended, you feel the fullness of the breathing in and out, and you find how you can get comfortable with it. Then your mind picks up that as a sign, a comfortable sign. And it takes on that quality of comfort and well-being and it unifies. And we cannot, the mind will not unify in something it has to struggle with. It can't. So unification is a settling on. Settling on and there's something like a kind of rest now, not, it's not sleeping rest, it's a sense of, ah, I can sit on this, I can recline on this, I don't have to struggle with this. This is, ah, yeah. And it may take a little bit adjusting to get snuggled in and to stop falling off it, but essentially the sign of your meditation is something that your chitta picks up and is capable and interested in bonding to. Now, you cannot unify without that. Hmm? Yeah. The expression is, one should uh, notice the sign of the chitta, the sign of the mind. And this guides you. If this particular meditation, you're not finding the sign of something that you feel inspired by or gladdened by or interested in, then maybe you should shift to another theme. Because you know, we're not particularly fussing over what object you choose. You know, we present standard uh, themes because as a Buddhist meditator, these are the ones that keep coming up time and time again. But, um, and they are recommended, but it may not work for you at this time. So, what's the theme of the mind? The sign that the chitta will settle in. Now, may I abide in well-being? It's not a bad idea. You know, one's jitter surely should be able to pick up that. 
But of course, it's, a, it's just a string of words. Yeah, yeah, happy Christmas, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what? So, because these are just ideas and words. And, you know, well, I'm not a very metaphor person. I just can't do meta. That's another thing that's wrong with me. Um, I'm just not a very loving kind of being. And you turn meta into another demand, another way one can criticize oneself. I'm just not a very kind, warm-hearted person. Oi. So, you know, the sign. Now, this is where the second place that our jitta gets stuck in that needs to be constantly revised is called me. So one is other people, and one another place that our jitta often goes to or picks up that causes problems is called me. So, in a way, these two qualities, these two signs, the sign of another person, it is a sign, because you don't know anybody else. You know how you feel about them, how, they, how they, you're, they're, you're affected by their appearance, their language, their mannerisms, you know that. But you don't know. See, but you, your chitta picks up a sign. Oh, this is someone I can trust. This is a reliable person. I feel comfortable. Great. Now, you know, that's the way we attune. Now, we can attune to the pieces that we don't feel comfortable with. And recommending just tune in to what you can feel comfortable with to the extent to which it's manageable. And then this is not a definition of the other person. This is so that my jitta will stay in that quality of goodwill, and I can rest in it, unify my mind in it, my mind settles, it is happy, and this is, we're entering into a unification or samadhi. Now the other place, as I'm saying, is myself. In this one, huge problems occur when the chitta goes into this one, this area, what I am, what I'm not, uh, what people think, what I did, what I didn't do, what I forgot to do what I'm like, how I'm like compared with somebody else, what I should be, why I'm like this, what my karma is. Huge complexities arise around this. This, this. And, of course, you know, who's that? Perceptions, impressions, images, And because this sense of I am has no fundamental basis, no ground, no foundation, it's rocking and unsteady. And because it's rocking and unsteady, it's not comfortable. Because it's not not, not comfortable, it tends to feel nervous or confused or desperate or clinging. I mean, oh, then it starts to build upon that and pick up the sign of the uncomfortable, the unaccomplished, the lacking, because it's not a stable place. It's not a comfortable, stable place. If you think about yourself, if you think about yourself, um, probably won't take long before you get a little bit depressed or saddened or worried or feeling something you should not be or you know because the sign of myself 
is a sign that is no, no stable foundation. It's a flickering impression as a sign. So when we come to this sign, uh, here's where the quality of I'm willing to be with this. I'm, this is the metta. I'm willing to be with this as it flickers and changes. Yeah. Happy, unhappy, um, floundering, confused, uh, uh, bright, joyful, uh, wavering, irresolute. Rather than have negative input, why don't one just stay tuned to that sign, stay with it, with an un- mind that doesn't wave in terms of its willingness to be, empathy, its compassion, its sense of inclining towards the welfare of that. Now, of course, in a way, there's nothing to have welfare for because it's just a flickering sign, but it certainly feels like me at times. And so it's really this, this volitional tendency towards the experience of others, the experience of self, two very problematic places, and they get further complicated by two other um, areas that we find ourselves uh, checking in with, the past and the future. What was I in the past? How was I in the past? Three years ago he did this. Yeah. What's she going to be like tomorrow? What will tomorrow be like? How will I be in the future? So these areas also generate a lot of agitation because they also have no essential foundation other than uh, regret, nostalgia, expectation, uh, anxiety. Future, there's expectation or anxiety. I want the good to happen, I'm worried it might not happen. This is the future. The past, oh, those were the good times. Oh, I made a mistake. Oh, you know, it tends to go into those two themes. If you dwell there long enough, it generates these. Therefore, in the all-encompassing world, which is not just location, it's also our dimension of time. Uh, whatever was in the past, if it is past, it's past. Let there be no trace of a negative impression to pick up and continue with. Okay? Because the past tends to generate the present. And so, common feature for people is memory of the past, and it's not always comfortable, and it's generating experience in the present. There's no such thing as the past. There's memory in the present. And it's uh, uh, generating present experiences. So we're saying, well, whatever was, might have been, all I know now is I have this memory, uh, and how to... Hmm. generate the quality of goodwill, we call it forgiveness, you could say, blessing, let it go, relinquishment, Mm. okay, that's that, Uh, 
not dismissing, but just where does that find ease and comfort? The future is uh, what we would wish for, what we dread, death, aging, sickness, loneliness, abandoned, destitute, oh dear. Um, so the, pr- the future, or the perception of the future, can sort of generate signs that mean we, we, our chitta is not tuning into blessedness, goodwill, appreciation, equanimity. And more important is the sense of whatever arises in the future, which concludes the next moment, may my mind, may my jitter not contract with fear, worry, negativity, complaining. May my jitter be able to maintain the quality of openness to that. And this, in fact, is our best insurance policy for the future. So whenever your jitter taps into these perceptions, these are important things to bear in mind and return to. Because we tend to return and orient around these um, these four points. That's often we, we guide our life around these four points. And they're all pretty transient, illusory, inconstant. What is important to generate, to navigate one's life with is the quality of metta, karuna, mudita, peka. You, you just focus on intentionality. Whatever they, the people I'm going to meet next week, whoever they are, whatever they are, my best thing to do is to generate and stay with the quality of goodwill and equanimity. If they're unpleasant, I'll be un- I'll at least try to manifest and abide in my own equanimity. So, because this is, this is the possibility, it's not possible that the people we meet in the future will be agreeable, friendly, so forth. It can't depend upon that. But we can have access to this quality and generate that. So it's a relational experience, relating to. And at this time, you know, even if we are kind of putting aside notions of the future, probably we still have a notion of myself. Uh, is that the body? Is that is that where it is? Painful body, uncomfortable body. Is it the wavering of the of the chitta? uncomfortable chitta mm. so bearing in mind this theme, this intentionality what helps now what helps now abiding in this making a sign, picking it up getting it well established the Buddha said the mind then abides metta in the, what's called the sphere of the beautiful mind feels beautiful with um, <laughs> with uh, compassion, it's called the sphere of measureless space. No particular boundary 
to to one's awareness doesn't uh, retract. The quality of gladness appreciation is called the sphere of measureless consciousness. Is is its full development and uh, the culmination of equanimity is called the sphere of no thing. So instead of things, we experience processes that are changing. The mind doesn't latch on this like this, but it's a changing process. And the mind is capable of just staying open to the flow of experience. So there's a certain evenness. Equanimity may sound like a very, uh, maybe unfeeling. There's an interesting comment that the Buddha made when he was uh, um, advising some of his disciples on teaching a group. He said, you have to be fit, prepared in order to teach a group. Though this is the checkpoint. So now myself, when I give a, when I give instructions, and uh, the bhikkhus don't listen, don't follow the instructions, don't get anywhere, I am not pleased. But I'm equanimous. <laughs> and said, so when I give instructions and they do pick it up and do make progress, I am pleased. But I'm equanimous. So. You know, just think of this through. What does that mean? How can you be pleased and economist at the same time? It means you can experience perhaps your own uh, emotional arising, but you know, it's like this now. <laughs> this is the sense of having a good day. Uh-huh, it's like this now. This is a sense of things are difficult. They're difficult. It feels difficult. It feels uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's like this now. You get it? <laughs> so there's the, um, the perception comes in. Uh, agreeable, disagreeable, winning, losing. The perception hits Jitta does not pick up that perception. It stays in. It's like this now. <laughs> Equanimity. You know, it's it's. This is pretty. No. Top top line stuff. Mm. But it's associated with the wisdom to, to recognize things change. The nature of conditioned phenomena is to have this somewhat irresolute, incomplete. You know, what is agreeable tends to come and go, disagreeable tends to come and go. One cannot have the disagreeable not arise. It cannot be the case that disagreeable will not arise. 
it cannot be the case that the agreeable will not fade. Yeah. So, yeah, and these are the places where we start to, oh, oh. <laughs> but it cannot be the case that just, so therefore one's volition has to stay steady through the arising and the passing and really comprehend this sign of the arising and passing then the volition, the intentionality is to acknowledge and abide with that sign of changeability even as the pleasant, the not so pleasant, the disagreeable the worthy, the ignoble those perceptions flash in then the jitta is supremely comfortable and steady and expansive. So these um, themes, these can become, uh, like any other meditation themes, something the jitta picks up as its sign, works on, establishes, gets going, liberates itself from the hindrances and unifies it finds satisfaction in, finds comfort in. And the wisdom factor also recognizes this quality has been carefully gleaned, carefully sustained. It's of the nature to also be conditioned. It doesn't I don't own it. I don't own it. So there's also a sense of certain dispassion around that. So, um, for this afternoon, or whatever is useful in any of this, maybe 10%, 5%, one sign, one phrase, one may be useful, pick it up, make use of it, um, dwell in it, make it a sign for your welfare and happiness. <coughs>